either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome in. Grab some eggnog and stay a while. Let's, t- let's talk about Christmas week movies. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. Got some big ones to talk about. Let's start here. Return to a world of two realities. One, everyday life. The other, what lies behind it. To find out if his reality is a construct. To truly know himself, Mr. Anderson will have to choose to follow the white rabbit once more. This is The Matrix Resurrections. If you want the truth, Neo, you're going to have to follow me. that matters to you is still here. I know it's why you're still fighting and why you will never give up. You don't know me. No? After all these years, to be going back to where it all started. Back to the Matrix. Well, I'll tell you, I am really, really curious to see how this goes over. Yeah. Because I think this one can be really polarizing, especially for, you know, the maybe the core fans, maybe the fanboys. But no matter how it goes over, I really respect the I don't care attitude of Lana Wachowski here and going for it, the way she structures this story. I really like it. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I got to be honest with you, I wasn't really looking forward to it. I really wasn't either. Because, you know, by the third of the of the original trilogy, I, I'd more than grown weary I agree. of the whole concept and the world building and I agree. the whole thing. But, man, Lana Wachowski, her, her rage is on her sleeve in this one. And it's just, it's such, it's just like you said, I mean, it's so much her voice. And uh, so because she didn't want to make this. And so there's a character who explains because Neo now is in a regular world and he is a video game developer. And he's speaking to his his uh, and he's he's very famous and has a lot of money because he developed the Matrix video games. And his his uh, colleague is explaining, well, we have to make a, a sequel because Warner Brothers owns the property, and if we don't make the sequel ourselves, they're going to make it without us, which is hilarious. Oh, yeah. Because of that, that of course was the problem. She yeah. didn't want to make it, and now she had to. And, and her colleague, by the way, is played by Jonathan Groff, who's uh, great. Hamilton's King George, by the way. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 such a kick. But yeah, that's just I love that whole attitude. Like, all right, you want and me to make it? And that's just the start. All right, right, I know exactly. <laughs> and then it's just like, and if. Because after that, man, she takes on she takes all comers. Yeah. I mean, she's whether you're a cinema snob who feels like the Matrix trilogy ruined cinema. Okay, you've gotcha. got a voice, yeah. and she's got a voice back at you. I mean, she just it's so well done. It's also very respectful of the original trilogy, no doubt, because it's her trilogy. But um, I do think that there is so much. I mean, there is enough fan service for this film. You know, it seems to me that it should be able to to please longtime fans of the series. They reintroduce the characters that are. I mean, Carrie Ann Moss. Why isn't she in more movies? That's a good she question. She's so badass. Well, I think she was the one who I, I saw recently 
might have said that like the day after she turned 40, she started getting offered like grandmother roles or oh, something my. like that, which is terrible. But I'm with you. Yeah, I think it can and, and could satisfy some. But I just envision a, a camp that's just uncomfortable with how meta it is. Oh, like, yeah. You know? Well, and, and, and you know, some of the statements that she's making, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, you know, not everybody. Um, we were all on board, though. And it's the thing is <laughs> like, you know, there I, we've already got we had we did. We got some complaints at our uh, our written review. Mm-hmm. But I always find things like that funny as if the human being who created these characters and these storylines in the first place isn't allowed to take it wherever she wants it to go. She totally is. And the thing is, I thought it was great. And I also, you know, uh, the performance is. Again, Carrie Ann Moss is still completely badass. Keanu Reeves is very, very good at being a confused character. <laughs> yes. And, and um, he's just become such a likable guy. Oh, yeah. You know, he's become such a force in, in pop culture. that Everybody just loves him. And, you know, all of the new faces are welcome. All of this sort of, these are younger versions of characters that you know. And there's a reason that they're younger. But the actors that they got to fill those parts were really, really perfect for the oh, roles. Oh, yeah. Yaha Abdul-Mateen II plays young Morpheus. And, of course, he this year uh, was a Candyman. Yeah. Was in uh, the new Candyman. So that's great. I didn't know. I was surprised because Christina Ricci was in this. I did not realize she was in this. Yeah, she just got one scene, but she's funny. Yeah. And uh, Jada Pinkett-Smith. Yeah, she and returns. Priyanka Chopra Jonas, who we, we still call Quantico. We do still though, call her Quantico. Just among ourselves. Yeah, because just that at our house. show has been off for years. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, it's it's just a vision. It's a vision. It is. And when a director, and in this case, co-writer and director, has such a committed vision, even if I don't like it, I give them all sorts of respect for, for keeping to that vision. But I do, I do like it here. I really, I love the direction that she went with it. Yeah, absolutely. There's just no denying that she's the one calling the shots in mm-hmm. this film. You know, mm-hmm. she didn't pander to anybody. She's, you know, it's it's her series, so she's paying homage to the elements that made it a good series in the first place. But she's also saying what's on her mind, and I thought it was just a hoot. And especially commenting on the way people's own realities are today. Because you go oh, yeah. back to the original Matrix, that was the whole thing, oh, right? The reality. But now everybody can just, just seem to deny one reality yeah. and just stick to regardless. No, this is this is what I believe. Yeah, no matter it's pretty what. perfect. Really. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a pretty so perfect synergy it's such with a her original ground concept. to dive yeah. into. And of course, you've got this the uh, the visual effects that at the time were so groundbreaking, right? Um, which a lot of people I think just went back two and three times just to see that. You know, it was oh, so yeah. cool at the time. Well, now a lot of years have passed and not so much, but still, you got to honor that. Uh, so it's all there. So yeah, it's, you've got the fan service. You've g- certainly got the elements that could satisfy. The longtime fans. I'm just really curious to see how it how it lands. You know, yeah, with, you know, with the I moviegoers. think moviegoers or the H. We didn't even mention it. it's not HBO just HBO Max. It's HBO Max and um, in theaters. Yeah. So this is going to hurt. Obviously, it's going to hurt the box, box office. office. Yeah. yeah, that it's a day and date, and yep. and and so and, and it comes up against. We just had our first honest to god blockbuster right. in two years. Yep. So you know, it may look like it doesn't do as well. As it does, mm-hmm. because it's, it is a day-and-date film, but yeah. uh, but I liked it, and yeah. I didn't expect to. Yeah, The Matrix Resurrections in theaters and HBO Max right now. This next one is in theaters only, the story of Alana Kane and Gary Valentine growing up, running around, and going through the treacherous navigation of first love in the San Fernando Valley, 1973. It's Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza. But the film is a sad thing for this is faith that brought us together. Our roads took us here. I think it's weird to hang out with Gary and his friends all the time. 
<laughs> I think it's weird that I hang out with Gary and his 15-year-old friends all the time. I'm not gonna forget you. Just like you're not gonna forget me. Cross. This one I did expect to like, yes. and I did because it's Paul Thomas Anderson, and we like everything. Love he's, he's my he, favorite filmmaker. He's so he's so great and so gifted. And this is a bit of a I don't want to say it's a departure, but to me it it looked it had some elements unlike a lot of his other films. The way the way the story went, and but it's just so rooted in these two young characters, and so rooted in the time period oh, yeah. it does it so well which another movie we're going to talk about uh doesn't really this this week or that but we'll get to that but this one is just it's just so authentic and these characters even if they have just a little bit of screen time like the bradley cooper character they're just they're all indelible they make a mark on you they really do it's a massive cast huge as he does sometimes paul thomas anderson he does have have big big ensembles sometimes this is such a slice of life it's such a freewheeling kind of a story yeah. and it's so of its time not just that the, the time period the look of it and the soundtrack of course because his movies have such a perfect soundtrack all yeah. the time but the actual sort of themes of the film oh, yeah. are very uh sort of emblematic of films of 1973 it's not the kind of stuff that you see in movies today mm-hmm. and philip seymour hoffman an alum he and, and paul thomas anderson oh, yeah. made so many films together his son cooper hoffman plays Gary Valentine and is just perfect. He He's is. just perfect. On some of the shots where you see him walking toward the camera, he has the same walk. He does. As Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. He really does. And he just seems a natural. And he's playing, his part is is a young performer. He, he's kind of a young star. I mean, he is known. He, he's a performer. Uh, and that's how he gets the attention of uh, this girl that gets his attention, Alana, played by Alana Haim. She's older because he's like 15. He's 15. Yeah. And uh, she is 20, what is she, like 25? 25. 25, yeah, that's right. So that's that's a big age difference, but he is It's just, alarming. It's an yeah, alarming age difference. But he is, uh, he's undeterred. He is. And he just has this incredible attitude of moving ahead, no matter if it's his, his performance, his commercial parts or whatever, or he's got these other ventures he's going to get yep. into, and he just keeps going, and he won't let, even when she's determined, well, we're just going to be friends, he's still... As you heard in the trailer, you're not going to forget me. And and she tries to, oh, gross. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but there's a connection between them and they connect with us. It's such a funny um, character, his character, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. In so many of his films, there's a hustler somewhere. Sometimes they're, you know, they're losers and sometimes they're not. And sometimes they're very angry. But there so many of his films have that character. To me, that's Gary Valentine in 25 years. (laughs) Anyone of them. No, right now, that's one of the things I loved about this film is that. Everything is just buoyed by the just, you know, the endless possibilities of youth. You know, it's such a giddy, naive, awkward, stupid, silly, fun, dangerous, devil-may-care kind of a film. I just loved every minute of it. And then on the peripheral of these two main characters, all these other characters that pop in and out that are dark and and possibly dangerous. I mean, the... the, um, Bradley Cooper character, he actually plays a real, he plays John Peters, who still today is a very famous producer and came to fame in the 1970s uh, as, he says in the trailer, Barbara Streisand's boyfriend. Right. <laughs> and 
He's uh, Bradley Cooper is priceless. It's a fantastic. It really is small part. I wouldn't even call it a cameo. It's a little bit more than a cameo. Yeah. But then you've got Sean Penn in oh a my cameo. God. Sean Penn. Tom Waits. Yeah. Sean Penn. That uh, that is the most fun I've had with Sean Penn since Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. And Benny Safdie. Yeah. It's a tremendous group of actors and characters, but it all comes back to these two, uh, Alana and Gary, and they're just a compelling couple to spend time with. They are. They and they're unlike. Any other characters that you've seen, but they still feel very authentic, which actually that might be why they feel authentic. They're mm-hmm. so much unlike any other characters that you've seen. And so many of the hijinks are wild to a degree that it almost seems like, well, this had to have happened to somebody. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and there's just there is that level of of authenticity to things that I think helps the insanity of the film play out as well as it does. Uh, this is maybe my favorite film of 2021. Yeah, and as, as you mentioned, the, the age difference today, if you were making a movie about a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old, well, yeah, you're, you're not going to get away no. with it. But somehow, steeped in this, as you mentioned, this optimism and this hope of the time, mm-hmm. and it's not like you're going to see a sex scene between the two of them, because you're not. No, no. But there, but there is a connection. He's pursuing... Something more than friends. That's what he would like. Um, uh, but still, there's an innocence about it. That's yeah. just It's just sweet. And even as there is the, the chance of danger around these two, uh, it's just endlessly hopeful and joyous and sweet. And yeah, I agree. Definitely one of the best of the year. And it's in theaters now. Latest from Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza. How about something for the families this Christmas? Buster Moon and his friends must persuade reclusive rock star Clay Calloway to join them for the opening of a new show. It's Sing... Two. There he is. Clay Calloway? Go away! Don't you miss the music? You just need to play again. No, I can't! I haven't even heard one of my songs in over 15 years. And for good reason. I have run through the fields. It's okay. But I still Your songs will carry you. Go. And that's... Ah! Dream big dreams. That's what I always said, right? There's always a choice. Just never have the guts to make the right one. Well, I vaguely remember Sing. Yeah. And uh, it was and, fine. But how did they get this cast? I know. It's Matthew McConaughey and Scarlett Johansson and Reese Witherspoon and Taron Edgerton. This one has Bono. And I mean, it's there's um, and why? It's like I barely recall the first one. Pleasant <laughs> enough. Yeah. Nice enough. And in this one, you know, they, they try to take their little ragtag show to the big time and they audition for some horrible, mean, you know, exec. Um, who is played by Bobby Cannavale, mm-hmm. who's a big, scary wolf. And uh, and they try to, they they fib and say that this reclusive singer, this, you know, this sort of, uh, well, Bono plays the reclusive singer, that he's agreed to be on the show with them. And of course he hasn't. So right. that's half of the hijinks is, is getting him to agree to be on the show with them. Nothing about it feels new or fresh. Right. It's it's all it looks fun and they they and I remember this from the first time they're all real pop songs like very current pop right, songs right I think that plays off the the fact that people love these 
performance talent show. Sure, which is what this is. It, yeah. Exactly. It just plays off that vibe, and a lot of people do. We don't, no. but a lot of people do. So, yeah, it, it's fine. It's you fine. You want to fire it up with your kids and hear some pop songs and little cute animals singing them, there you go. Yep. And uh, it's in theaters now. And, and the you know what? Before Spider-Man, really the only movies that were really doing the good business in theaters were the family films. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, Spider-Man's kind of a family film, but you know what I mean. So this one might uh, do some good business as well. In theaters, it's Sing 2. Boy, some heavy hitters involved in this next one. A Scottish lord becomes convinced by a trio of witches that he will become the next king of Scotland. And his ambitious wife supports him in his plans of seizing power. This is the tragedy of Macbeth. Breaking of my thumbs. Something wicked this way comes. So this is uh, Joel Cohen minus yeah, Ethan. Yeah, off on his own. Yep. Adapted. I was going to say wrote and directed, but obviously somebody else wrote <laughs> somebody it. Somebody else. <laughs> Adapted it. And it stars, and one of the, I think the, the big differences in this particular version is that the leads are much older than you expect. Usually mm-hmm. it's a, a young, ambitious couple. And in this case, instead, it's two of the greatest actors who've ever walked the earth, mm-hmm. Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. And they're wonderful, obviously. Yeah. Of course they are. It's a glorious looking movie. Black it's and white. Black and white. It's so theatrical, the shadows and the and the contrast. Oh, my God, it's such a gorgeous movie. It's like Ingmar Bergman beautiful, yeah. this film. Well, we talked about one of the themes this entire year, been black and white, and here's oh, yeah. another one. Yeah, absolutely. It's so gorgeous. And uh, But the for me, and the whole cast, top to bottom, is amazing and stacked. Uh, Ralph Ineson is the first person you see. You know how we love him. Oh, yes. Oh, and also, well, you mentioned Corey Hawkins, who plays McDuff, McDuff and you mentioned... The very first day, how great he was, and I'm seeing his name mentioned in uh, in Oscar buzz right now as well. He and it's not that I don't think he's a fine actor. He's a fine actor. But he really is. But he, in this yeah. cast, for him to be the standout mm-hmm. was is especially impressive because he really was. Yeah, and and this and he also was in um, in the Heights, so he's had a great year. Yeah, he has had a great year. But my favorite part of this movie is the way they deal with. The witches. Mm-hmm. So I should I should say right off the top, the witches is the reason that Macbeth is my favorite Shakespeare. <laughs> and they're just and and in this case, Catherine Hunter plays all three witches, yeah. and the way they film her mm. to make that work, and then her physical performance as well as the way she uses her voice. Yes. Oh my God, glorious! So fun, so creepy, and just brings so much to the to the film. It's again. I mean, it's it's easily one of the best films of the well, year. Well, anytime you're going to do this, take a work so iconic and right. so well known, not only a Shakespeare but Macbeth. Yeah. Like, okay, what are we going to bring to it? Right. And and, and you, of course, you bring the talent of the two leads. Yeah. But yeah, a different sort of vision. And this is one of my very favorite Shakespeare's. I studied it more in school than some of the others. I wrote a couple of papers on Macbeth because I thought it was fascinating the power structure with Lady mm-hmm. Macbeth and mm-hmm. how much uh, sway she had over him and then the whole witches. But but I agree. Uh, the way that they do the witches and the way that it's filmed and, of course, the acting at the well at the top of the, the uh, bill and throughout. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't mention Brendan Gleeson oh, was yeah. on it as well. So, yeah, yeah uh, it is. It's, it's a fantastic piece of filmmaking. I hope it doesn't. I mean, it's not going to do Spider-Man business, oh, but no. I hope <laughs> the fact that it's Shakespeare doesn't turn people off because it's 
at the heart of it is a great and compelling story. Of course. Yes. Yes, and definitely see it, and it's out in theaters now. The tragedy of Macbeth, and it's going to get a wider release, I Next think. Next week, after yeah, after the first of the year, but it is in select theaters now. Check it out. Boy, another great one next. This is a woman's beach vacation taking a dark turn when she begins to confront the troubles of her past. It's the debut as a filmmaker for Maggie Gyllenhaal, The Lost Daughter. The little girl lost her doll. She wouldn't stop crying. Children are a crushing responsibility. Happy birthday. I'm suffocating. I'll give you a few seconds to come back. Three, two, one. Yeah, so Maggie Gyllenhaal, she writes the screenplay, which is based, she adapts it based on a novel, and she directs. She's not acting in this, and boy, just another fantastic debut. We just saw this year Rebecca Hall had a fantastic filmmaking debut in Passing. And now Maggie Gyllenhaal, this is really, really well done and led at the top by just another, of course, every time, another fantastic performance by Olivia Coleman. Yeah, she's just one of the greatest. She's one of the greats. The way that Gyllenhaal films this is unnervingly intimate. Yeah, and close-ups. It's so, so many facial expressions stand in for a dialogue here. Yeah, and, and so you need somebody as strong as Olivia Coleman because yeah. not everybody can be that authentic. She's amazing. She's She's magical in this movie. Um, and it's a tough film because it's not necessarily the kind of person you want to get to know. She's she's not really that nice of a person right. in a fantastic and interesting way. Dakota Johnson also has a great performance. She's very good she's here. She's really, really good here. She and, really is. And, and so is Jesse Buckley, who's also actually always very good. And she plays Olivia Coleman um, in flashback, she mm-hmm. plays the younger version of Olivia Coleman because yeah. you get what's happening right now as she's on this beach vacation. And then you also get flashbacks of essentially the parts of her own life that Dakota Johnson's family is reminding her of. Right. All three women are just spectacular. They and are. then in a smaller role, Ed Harris. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, he's kind of a caretaker of the property that she's staying in. She's staying in this incredible uh, vacation villa in Greece. And there's this, this, all of it, she's taking it easy when relaxing. Then all of a sudden, this big, boisterous family shows up. And uh, Dakota Johnson is part of that. And then something happens that draws the family and Olivia Coleman's character together a little bit. And you start seeing these flashbacks and some uncomfortable moments from her life. And, and specifically, her life as a mother. Yeah. Her experience as a mother that she is is drawing on, especially as you mentioned, uh, their, her, her interactions with Dakota Johnson remind her of. And it's it's just fascinating. It is a character study of Olivia Coleman's character, but yet there's other important characters uh, in the in the film as well. And I, I really was interested in your perspective because this, this is so much about motherhood. It is. And one of the one of the things that I love the most, it seems to me very fearless because she's not a very good mother. That's the point. Right. You know, and she's and she's confr- very upfront about yep, that. And she's confronting that because she sees she sees in Dakota Johnson's character somebody else who's just not that comfortable with the sacrifices, the right. personal sacrifices right. of being a mother. And what I love, I mean, my favorite scenes, there's a third character who plays Dakota Johnson's sister who's pregnant. She's very, very pregnant. 
but this is her first baby. So she keeps making these blanket statements about motherhood, and you'll just see Olivia Coleman's face just stop for a second and say, I thought you said this was your first. I mean, the responses of that you have no, no idea, idea what you're talking yeah. about yet. We both do. You know, and it's just refreshing because I do think that, you know, and, and it just adds more pressure to actual motherhood that you really only get characters who are really good mothers. Like, mm-hmm. it's nice to see yeah. a, a broken, frail human being who's mm-hmm. just grappling with the fact that she sort of failed at this. Yeah, and and also Peter Sarsgaard. We didn't uh, <gasps> so we good, did, we didn't as always. Him. Yeah, he, st- he has a small part as well. So... It is. It's so it's so intimate and and great interplay between the characters. Fantastic performances, and as we said, a great filmmaking debut for Maggie Gyllenhaal. It's the Lost Daughter in theaters now. Next is the film adaptation of a best-selling memoir. A boy growing up on Long Island seeks out father figures among the patrons at his uncle's bar. This is the Tender Bar. Well, I'm on my way. So, what do you want to be, Jr.? I'm going to be a writer. What's your main theme? The absent father. Poor boy who wants a rich girl. Well, I'm on my way. I don't know where I'm going. I'm on my way. What are you going to do without the bad guy in your life? In life, you got to have it. If you don't have it, you never get it. remember when we talked about the power of the dog and we said how watching that movie it wasn't long before you thought to yourself or i i did neither of us had read the actually you've read the book now yeah but uh, before we hadn't and the film very quickly made you think boy how great a book that was exactly. that probably was this is the opposite here uh it's uh, the director george clooney uh, who of course has been oscar nominated as a director mm-hmm. and well deserved for uh, good night and good luck and the screenwriter is william monaghan who did win an oscar for writing and adapting The Departed. Mm -hmm. But boy, by the end of this, you're just wondering what they saw in this source material that made them want to make it as a movie. I just don't think there's enough here that is new or compelling or relevant or really anything. No. I Yeah, I completely agree. I kept waiting for something to happen that... I mean, even the, uh, the description, I think if they had stuck to that, that he was looking for father figures, but they also... He also then chases this this girl, he'd like to be his girlfriend over the entire course of the film. There And there are a lot of things. You were talking earlier about Paul Thomas Anderson's period detail. There were so many details here that right off the bat, they Ty Sheridan plays the, the main character uh, as a, a college kid. But first, there's a little boy who plays the young. Could not look less like him. Could not look less like him. Not only that, but they say that the boy is 11 years old. He looks six. Oh, yeah. He's at so the time. small. And I know this sounds like we're picking nits here, but so many of the, these things add up. What, they it, really com- do. what it comes down to is if this is a memoir, if this is a true story, it has to feel authentic. And all these things add up, and it, it just doesn't feel authentic at all. They, they state a time frame, but yet the song soundtrack choices. And the pr- costume design and other things seem out of place. And yeah. everything gets blurred. And then you've got that with the kid. And then you've got um, the main character, J.R., played by most of the time by Ty Sheridan. He, his father is pretty much absent. He's an alcoholic and a violent man. And he is a DJ, a famous DJ. And they, they keep talking about what kind of a great voice he has. And then when he speaks, he 
He really doesn't. No, he sounds uh, like just anybody. Which, again, is a little tiny thing, but they just keep adding yeah. up, and it takes away from the authenticity of this film. It does have some charm about it, mainly through Ben Affleck's performance. Right. And we, we, I think we've mentioned before that Ben Affleck is having a pretty fine second act here. Yes. At least on screen. He keeps popping up in the tabloids, but that's whatever. But going back to his uh, role in The Way Back, I mm-hmm. think that was last year. Mm-hmm. And then earlier this year, he, he was great as that in that uh, supporting role in The Last Duel. Yes. And now this, I think he's very comfortable now in roles for his age where he doesn't have to, to uh, worry about being the handsome leading man. Right. You know? And he's getting better parts that he's doing more with, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that there were some, you know, I I loved Christopher Lloyd in this movie. He's got a very small part as the Mm -hmm. cranky grandpa. And for me, in the entire film, there's one moment that strikes me as genuinely authentic. The grandpa comes down all dressed in his suit because he's going to take his grandson to Father Sunday. Right. And uh, and his his wife, his old lady wife, looks at him because he generally just sits around disheveled farting. Yeah. And she looks at him like... Look at you. Where's and then this been? <laughs> they like they like touch foreheads with a yeah, I know, I'm not really good enough for you kind of a moment. And the, and it was just these two veteran actors as well. I thought, well, I hope I get more of this kind of yeah. authenticity. And you just don't. And it's like you're saying, you just wonder why no part of the story felt particularly interesting or new. Right. It's not that the, the lessons that he's looking back on are bad, but they just, they're very broadly drawn. Yeah. They're very generic. They're very self-satisfied, very yes. proud of themselves. And everything is just very like, okay, but what else? Yeah. What is so inspirational about this book? And it was a bestseller, so I assume it's a good book. I don't know, but none of that makes it to the screen. Agreed. It just doesn't. And it just is never, never find its authenticity to be compelling. But another fine second act performance from Ben Affleck in the tender bar in theaters now. Next is the latest from co-writer and director Sean Baker, who you may remember from the Florida Project and Tangerine. He's always got a very distinctive eye. And this is the story of Mikey Saber, washed up porn star who returns to his small Texas hometown. Not that anyone really wants him back. It's called Red Rocket. You said you're never going to step a foot in Texas again. I know, this is unexpected. Oh, nothing with you is unexpected. Your last job is over 17 years ago. That's quite a gap. Right, look, I'm going to be straight with you. I'm an adult film actor. Excuse me? So why are you back, Mr. Hollywood? You're Mikey. Welcome back, dude. I'm on top of my game right now on like every single possible level. Physical stamina, my mind is sharp. I'm taking 5-HTP for serotonin in my brain. Yeah. Dude, with my skill and ability, there's no denying what I can do. The universe is on my side, bro. Before long, it'll be like we're still married. We are still married. And yeah, now with his third film, Sean Baker has really become someone who is very insightful in looking at hidden maybe a hidden way of life first of all being poor yeah is a, a big part of it and just the, the people that live on the fringes mm-hmm. and boy this guy surely does yeah he really does and it's funny christy rob did the review for us and she said he's just he's just as charming as a cocker spaniel puppy <laughs> all smiles and and charm until you know he starts peeing on the carpet and right. humping your leg and that's a, that's about right you, you kind of love this guy but He's actually really a terrible person, and it's oh, yeah. funny. It's a comedy. I think if it's it's Baker's first outright comedy, although it is a dark comedy, you'll laugh probably out loud in a number of ways. But at the same time, to me, it felt it toward it like a horror film. Yeah. You know, I just because because you know Baker has such a keen eye 
um, about just that, just walking that edge of of utter desperation and poverty, and mm-hmm. then, nope, I'm gonna make it big, you know. <laughs> and and the, and the there's naivety there, and there's but there's such destruction just around the corner. And Mikey starts, t- he, he takes up with a very, very young, beautiful girl, high school kid. Strawberry. Strawberry. And he's staying with his still wife. They've been estranged for 17 years, but he crashes with his wife and her mother who don't even have a car. They are absolutely poverty stricken. And you just see in his wife, if Strawberry doesn't wise up, she's going to be the wife. That's the position she's going to be in at some point. So for me, the entire arc was very much like a horror film, although it is very funny. Yeah, and the lead is Simon Rex. He plays Mikey, who I believe started out in at least softcore porn films. I do think he has some... Well, he's comfortable being nude. Yes, some history there. But uh, he gives a great performance, and as Baker has done in his other films, I think he populates the cast with non-actors. Yeah. I mean, you talk about authenticity. Exactly. There's some authenticity in this film. Yes, there is. Uh, but but Strawberry is played by uh, Susanna Son, who's uh, a, a regular actress, and, so, and Brie Elrod plays uh, Mikey's ex, well, no, ex-wife, current wife. You're right. They're, they're estranged. Estranged wife. Everybody, everybody else, though, I think there's a lot of non-actors, real people, because they, uh, they have a lot of authenticity there, but... You're right. As he gets closer and closer to this underage girl and starts talking to her about a future in the porn business and selling her on all the good things about it. But yet, wait a minute, aren't you in the porn business? And look at you. Yeah. Uh, And you just keep thinking, don't fall for this, even though it is funny. And outlandish, but you're right. There's a section. There's a, a piece of it that is is horrific. Like if you go down this path, and there's a great scene where he's talking to her about what he has in store, what he has in mind, right as a train is coming yeah, by. Yeah. And boy, if that isn't symbolism, I didn't know what it is. Uh, but it's it's fascinating. I I did enjoy it. I've enjoyed all his films very much. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with Tangerine or the Florida Project, I think Florida Project got more attention because of Willem Dafoe, mm-hmm. who, of course, big, big, well-known, well-known star. Now, but this is back to uh, lesser-known uh, cast members and very uh, authentic, real people that he picked up. Who knows where? Probably right on, on set, on location, Could I imagine. Be. But that's what he specializes in, and he does it well. Just this look at, at uh, these populations that don't really get movies no. made about them, and he and he does it. So well, and it is out in theaters now. And you can check out Christy Robb's full review uh, on MadWolf.com for Red Rocket. Next is the third in a franchise. In the early years of the 20th century, the Kingsman Agency is formed to stand against a cabal plotting a war to wipe out millions. This is the King's Man. Welcome, Englishman. Rasputin, your reputation precedes you. And this as gentlemen. After all, manners make us man. Why is it that boys are always so messy? So co-writer and director Matthew Vaughn is back for round number three. This is based on a comic book. Uh, the Secret Service. So uh, this is now a prequel. We're going back to the beginning of how this all started. That is correct. Cat McAlpine reviewed this one for us. And 
what she her verdict is that it's two different movies. Right. They're both good, but they're smashed together in a way that just gives you tonal whiplash. So a big part of it, Ray Fiennes and his son, it's a it's a drama about a man trying to convince his son not to be lured away to the the call of war mm-hmm. and then his son's just heart-wrenching experience with war. And then the the other half of it is a Kingsman movie, which is just ridiculous, over-the-top villainy and action and <laughs> yeah. comedy and, you know, bloodshed, and that the two just do not mix very well. Yeah, and also, she also mentioned there's an awful lot of exposition, yes. which can bog a film down in a hurry. Yeah, Ray Fiennes at the top of the cast, also Gemma Atherton. Uh, Rise Ifans plays Rasputin. Yeah, best part of the movie. Yeah, he's if you, great. If you've seen the trailer, he's buried under a mountain of makeup, <laughs> but just looks as as Rasputin should look. Right. Uh, he definitely looks the part. Jimun Hansu is in it as well. Uh, Charles Dance, Matthew Good. So yeah, there's some definitely some uh, some talent in the cast. But as Kat said, two sort of two movies smashed together in one, and doesn't really handle the tonal tonal whiplash as well as you might hope as far as storytelling goes and a lot of exposition. But you can find her entire written review at madwolf.com. The King's Man is out in theaters now. And we'll wrap up with the true story of NFL MVP and Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner, who went from stocking shelves at a supermarket to becoming an American football hero. This is American Underdog. Hey, Kurt. We've been trying to reach you. I'm sorry, who are you? I'm with the Rams. This guy's old. Slow as molasses. He's beneath the standards of this franchise. That's what people said about me when I came here. All those years gave you something others didn't have. Made you ready for this moment. Third corner out of the arena league. It's one of those stories that's too good for the movies. It's perfect to guy here. He was bagging groceries five years ago. You go out there and you show the world what I've known all along. I know who I am, and I know why I'm here. Well, I, for one, am glad they waited a long time for this movie, because I remember when Kurt Warner was playing, I was so tired of hearing the story about him once stocking shelves at a supermarket. (laughs) We get it already! (laughs) That's not to make light of his story, because it is incredible. If you go from playing in the Arena League to making the Hall of Fame. That is an incredible story. It really is. So all props uh, to the fact that, that Kurt Warner got that done. So it's definitely worth a movie. Yes. Um, and and you've got a guy, a lead in Zachary Levi, who, well, I tell you, he looks the part. He does. Especially when you go back to how Kurt Warner looked then. You put him up side by side. He he really does. He does. He looks really looks the part. And an Ac- Anna Paquin plays his wife, and if you remember Kurt Warner's wife at the time. She's got the spiky hair, so she looks the part as well. <laughs> but uh, I think you, uh, the uh, written review for this was written by Rachel Willis at MadWolf.com. And I think this falls into the common ailment, I guess, of a lot of quote-unquote faith-based movies where everything is just painted so positively that you don't feel like you're getting real human characters, even though in this case, these are real human beings. Right. And th- I wouldn't call this an outright faith-based film, but it certainly it certainly toes that line. Yeah. And if you, again, going back on anybody that remembers Kurt Warner, he always wore his his faith. On his fr- sleeve. Fr- yeah, he did, which is fine. And no it, no and, problem there. And it and it suits the picture. I mean, it's the, that's the kind of film that you should expect. Yep. A very yep. 
wholesome underdog story, you know, very inspirational. And as that goes, better than most. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it is. It's a story that is sort of custom made for a Christmas big screen kind of adaptation. Schmaltzy, yes. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, but and a lot of the dialogue cringe worthy. But on the whole, it's also, you know, it's also a nice movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a good Good plan coming out uh, right at Christmas, and that is available in theaters now. It's American Underdog. All right, let's take our eggnog to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Heading back down to the lovely decorated lobby. Very nice. <laughs> nice decorations there, uh, Schlocketeer. Daniel Baldwin checking in with some Christmas week news. What are you hearing? Well, anyone who missed the recent Resident Evil movie, it is now available on VOD. So if you weren't able to get out to see it, theaters to see it, you can watch it at home now. Um, also on the home front, on January 12th, uh, that's when Marvel's Eternals will arrive on Disney+. Plus. So again, if you missed that, you can catch up with it in a couple weeks here. Cool. And then Shutter has already issued their release dates for next month for all of their exclusive streaming uh, releases. The uh, first of which would be on January 6th. That's for a an indie horror film called For the Sake of Vicious. Not sure what that one's about, but that's an interesting title. And then on January 10th, we'll have uh, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, a history of folk horror which is an over three-hour documentary on folk horror films from around the globe. Yeah. We have been waiting to see that for months and months. Well, I'm so excited about that. I think that. we just got a we just got a screw, uh, Oh, yeah, we an have early a link, link to it. Yeah, so we we're going to be checking that out soon. Yeah, yeah, very excited, very excited. You know, if, if anyone listening hasn't seen a whole lot of folk horror movies, um, they're going to have you covered. They're also going to premiere a collection of classic and obscure folk horror movies alongside it including stuff like Blood on Satan's Claw, which Finder General, Eve's Bayou, and the original Wicker Man. So nice. even if you haven't seen a lot, you know, you're going to have a little smattering of them right alongside it, and you can still watch it all. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And then on January 20th, there's uh, The Last Thing Mary Saw, which I think was a bit of a festival darling this year. Right. And then as a wonderful birthday present to me on January 27th, we'll be treated to another documentary and that'll be Boris Karloff, the man behind the monster. Ooh. Right. <laughs> and then the lone bit of a, uh, the lone bit of bummer news I have for you this week is that Lionsgate has pushed back the release of John Wick four um, to March, 2023. It was previously going to come out this coming May. They haven't really given a specific reason as to why, but since it just finished filming a little over a month ago, if they need any additional filming or anything else, I'm glad. I'm I'm assuming they just don't want such such a tight schedule to finish the film, and with the rest of the year being pretty packed, you know, mm-hmm. maybe March early next year is the best way to go. Yeah, I saw you post about that and say that that was a big that was a big adjustment. That's a, that's a ten month delay. Yeah, so that's yeah, a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. And then the last bit of news I have is Discovery's purchase of Warner Brothers from AT&T looks all but guaranteed at this point. So another merger on the horizon that should finalize middle of next year uh, to the tune of about $43 billion. Woo! When you're up that high, pretty soon you're talking about real money. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Monopoly money. Yeah. No kidding. All right. You can always catch up with Daniel at the Schlocketeer for the latest news. Thanks, as always, and have a great holiday. All right. You too. Thank you. All right. Looking ahead to next week. Well, as you might guess, 
things calm down as far as new releases goes. So last week of the year, perfect time for us to look back on our favorite movies of 2021. Yeah, I'm excited. Can you believe the year is over? No. We say that every year. But boy, looking back, there's some really some quality stuff this year. Uh, big movies, yes. Small movies as well. So uh, looking forward to counting now. What are we going to do? Ten? Ten and some runners up? What are we doing? We I don't, don't think know. we know yet. We're just going to walk in and turn the mics on. <laughs> Just like every week. So uh, in the meantime, let us know what you thought about anything this week. Boy, some some good ones to talk about. You can always find us uh, and keep the conversation going on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other podcast, Horror Movies Only, called Fright Club. You can find that all at madwolf.com. So have a fantastic Christmas, a great holiday. We hope to hear from you. And until next week when we talk about the best of the year, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Happy holidays. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>